dangerously close. My guest today is Benjamin Reeves. Benjamin is an award-winning writer, filmmaker, and journalist. Across platforms and genres, he seeks to tell high-stakes stories about people. <laughs> My phone literally shut on me <laughs> while I was reading the bio. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to roll with that. We're going to go forward. Confronting the seen and unseen forces of power, wealth, and influence in the world. His feature screenplay, Kane, won the 2020 Big Apple Film Festival Science Fiction and Fantasy Competition and was an official selection of the 2020 Stowe Story Labs. His debut film, a sci-fi short called Crossing Acheron? Acheron? Yeah, you know it. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Which he wrote, directed, and produced, premiered as part of the 2021 New York Pause Film Festival. Reeves' journalism has appeared in publications ranging from the Los Angeles Review of Books to the New York Times. Uh, I thought I saw somewhere too, the uh, Vice. Have you worked with Vice? Oh yeah, a ton with Vice. Yeah, that, I like cut my teeth with them in, um, in, in Latin America. Like uh, I lived in Guatemala for a while and was just I, like doing like crazy shit for them. They were fun for what, can, I can curse on here, right? You That's can say whatever the fuck you want, yeah, man. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of uh, Vice documentaries. It's a, it's a great, uh, for me, it's a uh, one of my favorite news sources. So I don't know, I'm sorry, sorry to bring that up. It just, it wasn't no, in your no, bio. No, 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 they were, they, I hey, had... I can talk about that. Like, and that was, <laughs> they were, they were fun. Like back in the day, it was really good. To, they didn't pay anything. You couldn't make a lifestyle out yeah. of it, but it was, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. But you can get, you can get pretty edgy. I'm sure a lot more than what the New York Times is going to let you do. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, here, I'm just going to, I'm going to breeze through. Like, you know what, okay, guys, right. we go into, uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> I could go on and on, man, reading you Benjamin's uh, accolades and uh, resume, but you didn't come here to listen to me say all this shit. You came here to talk about or, you know, listen to Benjamin talk and specifically the fact that Benjamin is a co-creator uh, of Distant Reaches. And I got to say, I think I told you this before we started recording. I've been uh, reading Distant Reaches, and I'm not going to lie to you, man. I like it a lot. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to keep reading that. it. Uh, but here's the thing, man. I got to ask you, what the heck is Distant Reaches? <laughs> yeah, that's a, and that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, so basically, you know, so I had this idea, like, I mean, at this point in time, it's you know, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and I'd been playing with, I mean, I worked in a ton of different types of media and was just very interested in this idea of, you know, could we, you know, could I create a, a story world, right? You know, and this is, and I feel like so much of what we consume now is like this, right? I mean, you've got Marvel, you've got Star Wars, you've got Lord of the Rings, you've got Dungeons and Dragons is one of these. We've got, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, story worlds are everywhere. And usually they're sort of recycling like old IP, like something that was, you know, created a long time ago and they're trying to, you know, bring the intellectual property to life. And so, you know, I was really intrigued with the idea of like, can, can we make a fresh one? Right. And how can we do this in such a way? We have so many different platforms and ways of telling stories now. Like I want to bring in as many different creative voices as I can and make it as collaborative as I can and, you know, tell a really exciting, you know, stories or series of stories set in this, you know, in a fantasy world. And so, you know, that's a lot of preamble to say, basically, you know, what it is in a nutshell right now is we're publishing fantasy short stories 
that are set in this shared world that we call the distant reaches. I mean, people can read it at distantreaches.com. Um, all the stories take place within this world. They're told by a ton of different authors. We've got incredible art from uh, an Eisner award-winning uh, artist named Shea Plummer, who's doing illustrations for these things. And we're just kind of like growing this world and growing these stories in there and, and sort of seeing where it goes. And you know, we're um, our, our sixth issue, I think it's the sixth issue, comes out uh, comes out on Tuesday, uh, you know, which means nothing to anybody listening to this. September well, this, this, is, uh, this is still pretty brand new, right? I mean, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. It's still this new. Just I mean, launched, so, launched this year. Yeah. So we launched in July, um, but it was like a year, year and a half of development before that. Of, yeah. You know, figuring out what this world was, building that world. You know, it started out as just me. I kind of, you know, I was the, the creator of this thing. And then um, pretty early on brought on um, my co-creator, Robert Frankel, who's also a screenwriter. Uh, we'd done our, our MFAs together. And, um, you know, like I knew that there were places where it's like, okay, I, I know I'm going to need help in these areas. And Robert was sort of the perfect person for that. And so he got involved back in December of uh, 2021. Um, and that's when we really got into the nuts and bolts of, of building the world. And then also figuring out how is this going to work, you know, sort of narratively and as a, as a kind of a storytelling engine, right? Like it's one thing to build a world. It's another thing to figure out how are we going to tell stories in that world? And then how are we going to be able to do that with, you know, just a ton of different you know, writers and voices and that required doing some pretty interesting stuff in terms of, narrative structure and just literally in terms of how we distribute and tell these stories. Uh, it's been a lot of fun though. How do you uh, select the authors that you like let it? I mean, like, I guess what you said, you're on issue six. So yeah. And I know you wrote the first, uh, the first installment, the, you wrote the beginning of the story, which I've read. That's right. Uh, yeah. I haven't gotten all the way to uh, where you're, yeah, I'm not, I'm not caught up, but uh, how do you pick and choose? Or, I mean, do these people come to you? Is it, a process where people like apply to you or uh yeah yeah it's a little bit of a mix and and you know so the one thing I, I would say is you know just in terms of structurally and this is where i think it's important that people understand how we're telling this story right is you know the world is the same across all of these stories right but we've created this um this thing within it's the idea is the conclave of bards right and so the, the mm -hmm. whole project is called ballads of the distant reaches and the idea is that this conclave of bards is this gathering of storytellers from around this empire, and they show up every 10 years to sort of document what has happened you know, around this, this fictional empire, right? And, um, and there's some political significance to this that you know, we'll get into, and there's kind of backstory around that, that and some intrigue, which is pretty interesting. You know, the winner gets a, an unbreakable boon from the emperor, right? So that's, yeah. you know, you could, you could do a lot with that, right? But, you know, Functionally, what this means is we're telling stories within stories, right? So Robert and I will kind of shape this frame story of what's going on in this gathering of storytellers. And then the individual writers, they get to go in and what they write what they want, you know, in terms of what that bard story is in their voice, whatever they want to tell, you know, and we'll kind of guide them and give them prompts and stuff. But um, what this means is that, you know, for a reader, you can drop in at any point. You don't have to start at issue one. Yeah. To understand what's going on. You can come in at issue six, you know, hopefully you can come in at issue you know, 24 if we get there, you know, issue 100. Um, and you should be able to basically grasp immediately what is going on in that individual story. Um, in terms of the writers, you know, we started off with, uh, it's a lot of screenwriters um, because that's, you know, a lot of what we do. It's a lot of, you know, sort of who we know. And so we started off kind of tapping people in our network, you know, who we sort of said, okay, we think this person is going to, you know, dig writing a fantasy story right in this world that we've created that's pretty different um in a lot of ways from i think what, what people might think of when they think fantasy it's not 
it's not high fantasy, you know? Um, you know, so part of it was finding writers that would be into it and then um, giving them these, you know, sort of these pitches basically saying, you know, here's what the frame story is going to be. Here's who the bard is. And then we'll give them one or two elements, right? You know, so they might have a, some kind of, you know, an artifact and then some kind of theme like magic gone wrong or, you know, star-crossed lovers or something. And then yeah. from there, they get to develop the story and there's a pitching process. It's very much like a, kind of a, almost a TV writer's room at that point or, that's, or you know, that's what, I spent a lot of time in magazine journalism, same process. Exactly yeah. what, uh, when you were talking about that, what popped into my mind, and I don't know why it was the TV show X-Files because it's such an old show and I know a, a lot of listeners these days may, maybe have never even seen X-Files, but what I was thinking is it kind of this, you know, you guys coming from a screenwriting background, the thing with X-Files is you don't need to see episode one of X-Files to, to, you know, to be in season two, episode 10 and watch that. And you can just kind of jump in and start going with it from there. Does that kind of like. A hundred percent. And, you know, it's, it's, I love that you brought that up because, you know, two of our touchstones, and this is where I'm saying it's like, this is not like your, your typical kind of fantasy world. Two of our touchstones when we were developing this, um, you know, and when we, we both of us, we've done the same MFA program in screenwriting. We both run writers rooms there um, writing for, for TV. And, you know, we really were looking at some of these shows like and X-Files was a big one. We're both huge fans of that. You know, the Twilight Zone, you know, even before that, right? The original yeah. Twilight Zone looking at these and sort of saying like we you know you can tell that these exist in the same world right there's an identifiable sort of x-files world there's an identifiable twilight zone world but then the events of the particular you know the monster of the week or whatever those are you know you don't have to know a ton and you can pretty much tell right from the beginning what's going on and then you know sort of enjoy it from there and that was something we really wanted to create right at the very beginning and so far it seems to be working. And what's great, you know, you were asking about the writers before as we started with this pool of writers who we were directly reaching out to. And since we've launched, and this has happened so quickly, you know, we're getting knocks at the door now. And so we're having people kind of come in and say, hey, I want to write one of these. Um, and that's very exciting because it's, yeah. you know, we're experiencing this sort of explosion of creative interest and in getting like really, you know, sort of different voices coming in. The next couple that we're going to be publishing are going to be like, fucking awesome like it's just like and what's great when you get a writer who's like they're into it and then we give them a lore book right we've got a book that's got all the backstory and the lore and they start reading through that and then they come up with an idea that i would never have come up with right i love this we get these pitches for something just totally bonkers and it's consistently awesome and so that's like that's so much fun and it's so different than uh just traditionally as a fantasy writer you sit down and you've got your you know you've got your manuscript and you're working on it and you presumably have a lot of ideas about where it's going, what the future of the characters is going to be. Or, you know, I mean, I guess for some people too, that, you know, everyone, people do get surprised by their own writing, yeah. of course. But with this, you are on a constantly who the fuck knows what's going to happen in the next yeah. issue. Like the story could <laughs> be dramatically changed. Uh, so totally. I, I wanted to ask just a little. So, I mean, this is such a unique uh, and different style of uh, fantasy world creation than than what people typically think about. And I earlier when you were saying every time a new writer comes in to tell a story, I think we kind of kind of glossed over it. But I just want to bring back this is told by the the, the bards. It's a the, yeah. concla the conclave of the bards. These yeah. are the people telling the stories. So essentially, uh, doesn't that mean that every author that comes to work on this project 
becomes a character in the story that did they become a bard is that a right to say essentially right yeah it's great and so they this gives people a, a lot of agency in terms of how this is going to kind of grow and develop and change and the types of stories that are being told right you know so one of the things that this story within a story structure does and this we didn't invent this right this is like classic storytelling you know we'll put a story inside a story you know shakespeare does it the canterbury tales that's the entire thing is like that right like this is like a very old way of doing this it, you go back to homer it's stories within stories right yeah um but it gives people a ton of agency and we had a question very early on from one of one of our advisors on the project um who's done a ton of stuff with kind of new media and and he said and you know he was being very honest he was like are you guys going to be comfortable with kind of letting go of control of this narrative uh and that for me that was actually something that i was looking for right like this is I think it's like, and some of that comes from having been a journalist for so long as, as both a reporter and an editor and, and seeing how stories develop there. And then also like loving games like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, where you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You can try yeah. to map that out, yeah. but it's going to take turns depending on what the people want to have happen. Right. And so that was an element that we really wanted to bring into this. Um, it's almost an, just... uh, an element of danger if you, because uh, uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys have any kind of set rules that you like really have to like lay down for people beforehand, or if you're not even far enough along yet to have learned where the rules might need to go, but you could have potentially, I'm sure you've thought about this, but you could have an author come in and their ideas could be that a character that someone else created, they've decided that character is going to die in their story. I mean, that's, is that, yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean that. So, <laughs> I, one, I would love that if someone came in, it was like, "I'm going to kill this character." I'd be like, "Great, that's awesome, <laughs> right?" You know, like that. That would be great. And again, this is where the story within a story format, you know, kind of helps us because that's just one person's version of these events within the story world, right? Like, I would love to have the original author come back and be like, "No, no, 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 that's not how it happened. This yeah. is how it really happened, right?" Like, and then you've got like some dialogue going within it. So, like. That's fun. And, you know, where this is going to get a little more, you know, the lore that we give people, the prompts that we give them, you know, they're meant to be kind of um, a way of, you know, sort of putting up like, like not, not even like rules, but just like some guardrails, like, you know, it's sort of within, you know, within this space, do what you want. Right. Um, yeah. And people actually seem to kind of like that. Cause sometimes when you're sitting down and you just, you got to come up with something without any guidance, like that can be, um, as a writer, as a full-time writer, sometimes that gets a little old and you want someone to just be like, hey, write me something about this, right? So like that's, um, and we're very broad in terms of what this could be. So that's that's a lot of fun. I think where this is going to get more complicated is, you know, we're getting ready to launch um, sort of a bunch of, of new you know, kind of areas of this world for, for our, um, our premium subscribers, right? And so Part of that is we're going to be publishing a bunch of lore, which is fun. But then we're also going to start doing more serialized stories, right? So there's these stories that follow a character from one story to another to another, you know, not like for a year, but we might do like three or four where they're short stories, but they tell a bigger story, right? And that's going to get a little more complicated. Those will probably have to be written by a single writer, you know, across three or four of them, but that'll create these recurring characters, that then maybe they pop up in other places, right? Yeah. And so that'll be a place where we really have to treat developing those a little bit more the way we might handle creating a narrative um, in a writer's room for a show, right? Like then it's a little bit more like, let's make sure we kind of understand where they're going you know, between stories one and four. And so that's also going to kind of become a part of this. We're going to start doing that. 
we hope to take that to podcast at some point too. Um, you know, but I think these things can kind of coexist with each other and we should be able to continue developing them in this like really collaborative way. I mean, we want to keep the collaboration at the center of it. And, and even still, this is also a way in which it, uh, it diverges from a lot of collaborative fiction or even uh, uh, like screenwriting for television. Like for instance, uh, first thing that pops into mind is like uh, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Uh, they, did, they did collaborative fiction. They did good omens, but yeah. they were you know, very both uh, equally involved and, and neither, neither one of them, like w- with what you've created here, it's kind of like you're, you let go of the steering wheel and close your eyes and then just hope that the yeah. next person is going to keep you on the road <laughs> or, or not. I mean, it's, I guess that's totally. what the exciting part is. Totally. But also yeah. uh, when it comes, when, I mean, I brought up TV earlier, X-Files is also is a, a good example of a show that had oftentimes they would bring in uh, a different director, you know, or, you know, yeah. different screenwriters for, so that's why so many of those episodes feel so different. So many are so standalone, right. but you still with television, you have a showrunner who's going to yeah. yeah, typically at least, at least for a season, that season yeah. should stay on track because that you're going to have the same showrunner, hopefully working yeah. alongside, but yeah. even, but here it's, I mean, you really are giving people so much autonomy to do totally whatever totally. they want to do. Exactly. And, you know, and Robert and I, you know, we very much, you know, like we kind of think of ourselves in that sort of showrunner role with this. And we're, you know, where we do exercise a ton of control is on these frame stories, right? Like the the contemporary events, these stories of what, you know, what is bringing these individual bards to this politically significant gathering? What is the, you know, sort of the broad, you know, march of history in this world? Um, you know, those are areas where we're much more careful. And so like where we might actually give feedback to a writer is if someone puts in a, you know, references a historical event that would directly conflict with something that's like kind of key for the development of the world, that's a place where we might say like, hey, you know, this doesn't really work, but what we'll try to do then is is present um, some sort of solution for them, right? So like rather than having it be this, could it be that, right? And that's like, and we'll give options then. Um, and so this is where it's a little bit like being a, you know, maybe a dungeon master, right? Is like, ah, oh, well, yeah. you know, you can't do that, but you, you could try this or that, right? And so like, that's a place where, you know, we'll do that. I think some of my comfort level with this comes from, you know, sort of having been a magazine editor and you sort of in that process and whether you're signing stories or you're getting pitches, uh, you know, it's very much someone sort of has an idea. Um, this used to be how I would pitch Vice too, you know, and it's like, it's two or three sentences where you're like, hey, I kind of think this is like, thing yeah Yeah. (laughs) but then you don't know what that reporter is going to come back with if you're an editor or if you're the reporter you don't know what you're going to find until you're actually into it right so invariably the thing that comes back is not going to be exactly what you thought it was and so then it's the job of sort of the editor and the publisher to figure out of like how do we fit this into our voice and what we're interested in you know and this was this was what vice was great at back in the day is you could give them an idea and they'd be like yeah fucking go find out about that yeah um (laughs) They're like, go down to Mexico, you know, like, find the uh, the Mormon uh, compound with the machine guns that are in a war with uh, the fucking cartels. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. You know, I um, one of my favorite pieces, that, and this was when I was like a baby journalist. I mean, I had no fucking clue what I was doing. You know, I was living in Guatemala and I was covering basically whatever I could get anyone to pay me to cover, right? Yeah. And this is where Vice was great because you could, not to be like, you could pitch them anything, but yeah. they, you know, if you made it sound weird enough, they'd be like, sure. Yeah, you know, 
And one of my favorite pieces that I did for them, you know, there was a, um, uh, there's this town like way up in the mountains in Western Guatemala that, you know, this is a part of the country that like back during the, the civil war and the Rios Mont era was, you know, um, just sort of, there was a brutal crackdown and a genocide there by the army. It's heavily indigenous. Like most people don't speak Spanish, right? They speak indigenous languages. Um, Oh, wow. Very difficult to get to as well, right? Like there's no yeah. like public transit taking you up there, way up in the mountains. And they have a, in this particular region, they have this festival around the Day of the Dead every year. Um, and this is, and I'd sort of heard about it, and but nothing had really been written on it at this point. Since then, there's been more stuff written. But uh, I'd heard about this festival and I was like, hey guys, this thing sounds pretty, pretty crazy because it dates back, you know, the rituals dated back to the, uh, like the ancient Mayan period, right? We're talking about stuff that is like a thousand years old. Yeah. And so I, you know, Vice is like, sure, here's 300 bucks. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, right I guess that goes a long way in rural Guatemala, right? Yeah, yeah that, yeah, I mean, it goes a long ways, but it's, it was still kind of like, all right, you know, this is yeah. going to be like a week of work. <laughs> but, I mean, like, know, I, I took it. I've made far more than that in one night of bartending. I mean, far, <laughs> far more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, this is where I was like, you know, Vice wasn't a life. It was not a, you know, you, you weren't, yeah. um, yeah, you were paying the rent off it, right? But I mean, dude, but, but, I mean, uh, but can you put a price on adventure? I mean, and, right, exactly. You know, can you put a price on uh, being in Guatemala, experiencing what you experienced, going off like really off the beaten path? Going totally, to this, totally. Going to like, uh, like you said, they don't even speak Spanish. It's not even like, right? Yeah, you know, this is like, and so I, I get up there, and this is like, you know, and I didn't have a smartphone, right? This would have been like. I don't know when we're like 2013. So smartphones were a thing, but like you didn't have cell reception with like data. Right. Yeah. So basically like once you're off the, the grid up there, you're off the grid. Um, and I get up there and it's this little town and the festival is it's these guys and they're, you know, they're wearing the, you know, sort of these traditional clothes that again, this is very ancient and they're riding horses up and down the side of this mountain, breakneck speed, racing them. It's a 24 hour race. Oh you have God. to do drunk, right? So part <laughs> of the ritual is you have to get fucking wasted the night before and continue drinking through the whole day, riding these horses up and down. And the the and it's a, a sort of a fertility and agricultural you know festival, right? The idea is you know this is going to ensure a good harvest next year and all these things. And these guys yeah. are expert horsemen; they're some of yeah. the best horsemen in the world, riding up and down these hills. And the context for this is that they, you know, when the conquistadors showed up. This was the what you know people weren't allowed to have horses because they were you know essentially military vehicles and this was like the one part of the country where they were like fuck you we're keeping our horses right so this yeah. is like <laughs> it's incredible but suspended above this like mountain road that they're riding these horses up and down are live chickens hanging from ropes that they have to grab as they ride under them and it's this competition to see who can grab the most chickens as you go up and down this mountain what? So who can get the most shit faced on a horse and grab on a horse chickens? and grab a live chicken <laughs> while riding breakneck speed down a mountain road, turning around? You got so this is the thing they're running full speed and then they have to stop and ride back up the right. So there's tons of crashes at the bottom of this hill, right? And ride back up. So I'm up there and I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, so it's amazing. Yeah. I, you know, and like I had, they were like, oh yeah, people do things with horses and it's cool and like, and then I get up there and it's this wild thing, yeah. and then you know midway through this a guy falls off his horse and like dies like he dies he hits the ground he breaks his neck he like everybody sees it happening there's like thousands of people up there yeah 
And then all of a sudden people start cheering. And I, I finally find someone, and I have no idea what's going on. I finally some, find someone who speaks Spanish and I ask her, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, oh yeah, you know, this is, it's really sad for his family, but they're going to be honored. And this is a good thing because this, this really guarantees that next year is going to, going to be a great year. You know? Okay. Uh, so it became <laughs> part of this, right? And so I didn't know any of this when I was like, hey, Vice, give me yeah. to go to this town, right? But you come back with something awesome, right? And so photos and this just incredible story of talking to people and like learning about this thing that I didn't know existed, you know, and that's, that's really exciting. And so obviously the significance of distance reaches isn't the same, but you know, this idea of being able to, you don't know what you're going to get until someone comes to you with it right? yeah. until they come to you with a story. Um, and that can be really exciting. And so I think that was like in the back of my mind and, you know, sort of as we work with writers, like, I want them to surprise me like that's the and that's where you get Man. like stuff that's cool you as, know? as much as I do not want to depart from the story of the no no I no, I love that story man I want I I want to go I want to go experience this festival I mean uh, kind of taking it back to like the 300 bucks thing yes that's not great money to be getting paid as a journalist However, it, if you can look at it a different way, you could say I got paid 300 bucks to go to the wildest, most insane fucking party. It was like it's like going to the set of Jackass, except for times a thousand and there's no laws or rules. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it, on top of that is this like sort of deep religious and social significance. Right. Yeah. So it's like it's this thing that's totally wild. And that, you know, for someone like me coming in, having no idea what I'm getting into seems utterly foreign and then you think about it where it's like if you've grown up in this and you live there this is like super important and it's a big deal and it's and so it's like that's i think that's the other part is like these opportunities to kind of think about how someone else lives and why they live that way and why it's important and why certain things have significance and that's that's something that's universal in storytelling and it, it's actually part of what i like about this is Sometimes people will be like, okay, why are you working on a fantasy project? You've been a journalist for so many years um, and I still do some journalism, you know, I'll be like, okay, but there's actually a lot of commonality, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is an opportunity to, to talk about and to sort of think about how people live in circumstances that are different from your own or that might be unusual in some way, or that might have context or factors that you don't know about. Right. And so it's like fantasy is great for that because you can create those and put pressures on people and, you know point them in different directions and see how they react yeah. and, I, and i think uh we i mean we certainly kind of talked about it a little bit uh just a few minutes ago but i did want to just kind of get a little deeper into just i mean the nuts and bolts uh of dealing of working with this many people on a yeah. project that is traditionally this is uh fantasy writers it's a very it's it's considered a very solid solitary endeavor you know, yeah. you sit down, you create your own manuscript, you do it alone. You might do a lot of research that might involve other people, but for the most part, you are very alone for this process. Then uh, obviously what distant reaches, yeah. it it's, this is collaborative create uh, creativity. Yeah. But I, I have to ask me, like, are, do you feel like there are any disadvantages? I mean, and I also, I, I don't want to, and I don't want to be on just on the negative side. I would, I would yeah, like to know yeah, yeah. Uh, like the, the advantages, I'm sure there are plenty. And, but I mean, and maybe disadvantages is a little bit of a loaded word, but uh... no, I, I, I got you. Yeah. Kind of the, like the challenges of it. And like, yeah, I mean, they're there for sure. You know, this is, I think, you know, one of the things that's become very apparent and this is maybe not surprising because again, 
you know, Robert and I, you know, being screenwriters as well, you know, you know, one of the things that we found is that people like the screenwriters that we know and who have kind of, again, come knocking on the door and wanting to write, you know, they have a lot more sort of facility and comfort sometimes with this idea of like, you know, cause we, there are places where it's like, we'll edit pretty intensely, you know, and we'll really, we spend a lot of time with them developing pitches and almost like a treatment for these stories because they have to fit within this world. Screenwriters are a little more used to that because of the nature of the way film gets made, right? There's always producers there. You've got to fit things in with, you know, how a cinematographer, you know, might need to shoot it, what the budgetary constraints are, special effects. If it's a show, there's a showrunner. Screenwriters are super comfortable with that. Uh, It's sometimes a little more challenging with people that are like really prose writers. And like, you know, so that's a place where it's like we're having to develop, I think, a little bit more of a sense of, you know, when we have someone who's a fantasy writer and they're writing fiction, you know, how do we work with that person? How do we engage them? Because in some ways we have to sort of develop their comfort level with this process. Um, and so that's, I don't think I quite realized that that would be a, a place where we sort of have to, to, to learn how to work with them as you know, sort of editors and producers. So that's, that's certainly one part of it. The other part of it is it's crazy labor intensive, right? Like it's just yeah. like, this is a really, <laughs> really labor intensive project way more than I, I think either one of us was um, was expecting particularly because people seem to like it and so people like it and so there's this pressure to give them more and to also you know keep those standards there and to really make sure that we're not letting things slip in certain places in terms of like is all of this making sense within the world you know are we advancing this sort of frame story in a meaningful way while still giving people freedom, you know, are we running a social media campaign that's working, you know, and that's a place where we, again, sort of set ourselves, we sort of said, we want, you know, the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram to have content on them that builds this world and is totally unique to them. Right. So if you're following us on Twitter, you're getting access to, you know, bits of story or bits of lore that aren't showing up anywhere else and that are going to give you a bigger sense of this world. And that's super fun. And I think people like it, but it's also like, okay, that's another thing we have to write. You know? Yeah. Like, um, and so it's just like, it's, yeah, it's everything, everything you create creates a new thing you need to create. <laughs> right. And that you have to keep track of. Right. So yeah. like Robert, and this is part of why I started working with Robert very on early on, because I knew, you know, my deficits were, with this were going to be, sort of organizational right which is just i kind of had a sense i was like there's gonna be a ton of content we're gonna have to run editorial calendars that keep track of all of this yeah to build these lore books the spreadsheets that we have with this are just sort of tracking like what what has been created what is kind of lore that's going to go into the lore book what is stuff that exists more in this like gray area of like a writer created it within a story but it's not like official tracking all of that figuring out what writers need to get like that's it's this huge kind of you know process and management task and that's where it's like it's so important to have a, a really you know collaborator who's good at that stuff you know and so that's that's robert in this right because i can talk about it and i can work with the writers and he works with the writers as well and like you know but i know you know if you ask me to sit down and like make a spreadsheet of you know every instance of we had to make a spreadsheet of like neighborhoods and where the bridges that connected them. Cause one of the writers was like, Hey, I need to know some more about the geography of this city. And I was like, yeah. oh, I don't know. Robert <laughs> broke it down. It was like, okay, here, this connects to this and here's this bridge. And then, you know, we named this, this, so we've got to keep using that name. And like, it 
you know that that was, it's like so this, much <laughs> there's so much actually uh this is one of the things that i was I mean, you actually just added so much more to even what i thought would be challenges but one of the things i just thought was just in your world and uh correct me if i'm wrong but i think one of the uh aspects of the world in the distant reaches is that uh a lot of tech is replaced with magic but it yeah. but it operates in the same way that tech would so yeah. so you have things like you have elevators but the elevator is operated by uh magic not right not machine not machinery uh but I, what i was thinking is like for you like you know you're kind of like at the at the top of this editorially what i thought a huge challenge would be was when you know because if anybody decides to add new tech to the world what are the rules of this world to what kind of tech can you add because like you can't just have someone totally. add an they can't add an iphone necessarily right. But, right. but could they add something that's quite similar if the, if the magic makes sense to the world that you yeah, uh, yeah totally totally and like and i i wish god i wish i could you know if this was um if i could show listeners something right like i'd yeah. show you the, the the section of this this lore book that we have which is um this sort of details how the world works the key history the key you know and you're right so the tech we sort of decided the reason the world building for this took almost a year was we knew very early on that we were going to have to work all of this out in advance, right? Because so the only way, you know, so the first thing a writer gets is they get this book and we've tried to keep it condensed enough that it doesn't feel overwhelming for them, but that it's very clear on like, this is how stuff works, right? Yeah. And so you can do whatever you want and remix whatever you want as long as, you know, you're sort of following the spirit of how it works, right? And so, yeah. you know, technology was something we talked a lot about. Like we knew we didn't want to do high fantasy you know i i had a lot of interest in you know sort of playing with stuff around economics and industry and you know how that works in a world like this and so we settled on this kind of early industrial era right you know so there's some steam power there's still you know it's a lot of black powder you can kind of think of it as like the early 1800s you know 1810 1820 um you know, and, and the idea for that was the existence of magic. And we've worked out this whole system that explains how the magic works, right? Because we want to give people rules. Yeah. Uh, you know, that the existence of that magic has kind of impeded or slowed down technological advancements, right? So there's there's some stuff that's much easier to do by industrial means. There's other stuff that it's easier to do by by magical means. And so, you know, one of the examples that we give to writers to help them make sense of this is, you know, there are steam engines and trains in this world, right? But it's much easier for them to heat a ton of water by magical means to then have that water turn into steam to drive the engine than yeah. it is to mine a bunch of coal and put coal into this thing. And, you know, so there's a, a steam mages union and they work on these trains to heat water for steam trains, right? So we've got trains, but it's, there's this sort of critical step in the, the development of the steam engine that instead of using coal, they're using magic. You know, we keep playing with this idea that there might be a fun story of some industrialist, some tycoon who wants to break the union, right? He wants to bust the steam mages union. And so he starts mining coal, right? He says, yeah. hey, there's other ways to do this besides magic. I don't have to pay these guys anymore. We're going to do it with coal. And it turns into this environmental metaphor, right? Yeah, you know, we yeah. get to play with early industrialism and like the impact of that on the environment, uh, labor, you know, so this is where it's like getting specific about this is how magic works actually opens up all of these potential stories that we can tell that are, are really, um, really interesting. Yeah. It's a, a strong belief of mine too, that oftentimes 
I mean, to a certain extent, you can't go too far. Like the, the rules and parameters can't be too strict. But uh, in art and creation, when you have uh, when you're working within a certain set of rules and parameters, yeah, uh, that's where you can be more creative than in any than any just completely open sandbox type world. If you know, hundred percent. If, if, if yeah. you have to like, all right, I have to follow these certain guidelines. So now it's challenge. I'm challenging my mind to yeah. be as to be as creative as I possibly can be, so that it it's still magical within the box. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and that's that's very much my experience is that like creative constraints sort of breed creativity, right? And people yeah. like having a set of rules, you know, because they that set of rules, especially if they're rules that they can sort of play with and look for ways to subvert and look for ways to you know, sort of accomplish what they want to accomplish, that becomes a little bit of a game, right? Yeah. Um, and that can be a huge amount of fun. You know, it's the same thing that you get in any creative endeavor. You know, I, so I just, uh, I, I wrote and directed a short film and, and produced it back in the spring. And, you know, we had a very limited budget and that immediately creates a set of constraints, right? We know the story we want to tell. It's very similar. We know the story we want to tell. We know what the budget is, you know, that determines what kind of crew you can get, what kind of special effects you can get, what kind of equipment you're putting on, how long the shoot is, and all of these. And so what that does, though, is at the end of that, you've created something under those conditions that can be like way greater than if someone had given me, given me an infinite amount of money, I would have been like, I, I kind of don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Right. And I think I think you see that sometimes in like you look at at. at I don't want to single out any particular franchise here. I, you know, some of the worst of Marvel and Star Wars, right? You yeah. look at it and you can tell that someone just gave them a bucket of money <laughs> and said, "Go make a story about this." Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> don't don't get me started on because also there's we're in dangerous territory with Star Wars, man. The most no, toxic I know, I know. That's why I was like, planet. I don't know if I want to get. But, <laughs> so I'll give you. You know, here's here's one that I'm 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 you know sort of super comfortable with you know that we can kind of kind of go there on this is like if we look at like um you know some of the the, the marvel uh streaming shows that they've done right yeah you know there's and a couple of those i've really liked you know i thought loki was was great and a lot of fun i actually kind of dug moon knight like i was into moon knight thought it was pretty cool oh. you know uh, which i know is like a the, you know not everyone agrees with that but i didn't, you know, I didn't then, make it far enough in to get to understand any of what was happening like, i just uh yeah. it, it didn't it didn't hook me in and i just you know how it is but uh, yeah totally, I, I, totally. i'm yeah. with you 100 yeah. on loki i thought so, it was fantastic so loki's a great example loki's amazing it works really well there was clearly someone sitting there saying we're going to tell a story and we're going to make it about this character right and then yeah. you go and you look at something like um falcon and the winter soldier i can't tell you what that's about i have no idea what the story was i know there were some expensive set pieces and special effects in it but like <laughs> You know, I like it just it, it wound up sort of feeling like nothing at the end of it, even though a huge amount of money was spent on it, um, you know, and there's just so much of that. And so sometimes it's like constraints can be helpful. Uh, I don't know yeah. what the constraints were in Loki and maybe they just you know really took it seriously. But like, you know, you can really tell when something had had, you know, sort of more money than attention put into it, um, which obviously I don't want to go too far down this road. If someone wants to offer me a bucket of money to, to do something yeah. to talk, but like, you know, yeah. Dude. Constraints are important. Yeah. Somebody give me a bucket of money to do uh season two of Falcon and the winter soldier. And I guarantee you, <laughs> yeah, I, it'll I, be a fucking you know, awesome show. You know what? Show. Falcon and the winter soldier was my favorite show. Uh, yes, I will absolutely. Uh, I'll write and direct and show around the next season. Please, you know, call me up. Yeah. I, like I'm not, I'm not turning anything down, but you can see these places. Yeah. 
um, you know, we can go outside of Disney too. I mean, there's, there's plenty of these sort of places where there's a huge amount of money spent on something and it just doesn't seem to connect. And, and sometimes I think that's a little bit of the problem is there wasn't enough of like, Hey, these are the rules that you're playing in yeah. and we're going to let you play, right. We're going to set the rules and then we're going to let you figure out how you're going to tell that story. Um, and I just I, think that's so important. And I will, I will, you know, what? I'm not going to name any names. I'm not going to name the, which, which spinoff it was, but uh, one of Disney's, uh, you know, cause they have all the Star Wars IP. They can do whatever yeah. they want. They know that it'll yeah. make a billion jillion dollars, no matter what, especially yeah. cause you know, the, ki- the kids are going to love it. And that's, and yeah. sometimes I just have to remind myself that like, Hey man, maybe this is more for a 10 year old, but uh, yeah. <laughs> there was one, yeah, like they, they, they spun it off and I was like, you guys had everything. You one of the done, shows. One of their shows. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah. I was actually very excited about it too. And I was, yeah. I sat down to watch it and I was like, this is, uh, this is boring. It's, it's, yeah. it's paced terribly. There's not really a plot that's, yeah. Worth well, you following. Know, I, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. And I'm saying this as someone. So I, I, I'm drinking my, my glass of water here is from a, a collector's cup for The Last Jedi. So I'm, I'm putting this out there, right? Like, yeah. like I am a, I'm a fan of Star Wars in general. I grew up on it. Oh, yeah. Um, Me too. The Obi-Wan Kenobi show was garbage. That Thank you. That's the what I was fucking talking about. It, it was I just so didn't want to say bad. it. I didn't, I didn't finish it. Like, this is like, I, I will watch the, like, man, I watched the holiday special, like, you know, once, you know, and then for like yucks. Right. But like that show was bad. It was really bad. And they had, that is a place where they had every resource they could possibly imagine, except for a story. Right. They sat down and somehow managed to tell the most boring, generic story about stuff that I didn't really I mean, like you could have told me anything about Obi Wan Kenobi, and this is what you're telling me, right? Like, it was, and the thing is, I <laughs> it was so I, bad. <laughs> I love uh, Ewan McGregor is one of my favorite actors, I, right. In the world, right. I, I, I mean, because Doctor Sleep is one of my fucking favorite movies. I, like, yeah. I we did a whole episode on this podcast where I, and honestly, I was so surprised that some people agreed with me because I yeah. dared to say that Doctor Sleep was uh, potentially a better movie than The Shining. And Whoa. no, all yeah, right, well, right. yeah, well yeah. I, I, br- yeah. I brought in a, a voice of reason who was there to disagree with me the entire time. So it never, it didn't go off the rails. Right, right. But the feedback that I got, I couldn't believe how many people actually agreed with me. I figured <laughs> out people would just be like, you're a fucking idiot. But yeah, some people were like, well, yeah. it's, it is a, it's a, it's more fun. It's, it's a lot, it's way more close to what Stephen King yeah. wrote. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, great. Obviously, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. world, you know, world class, amazing filmmaker yeah. but he definitely did not make a, a stephen king story he made his own story right which is fine. he made it well and that's how kubrick and kubrick was always like that he would sort of take yeah. like a little like the package and then do what he wanted with it right you know i so just on on sort of the star wars thing because i, I want to talk about this for a second because i think there's something really you know sort of interesting here with this is that you know so the you know if, if i was going to make something for star wars i would want to do something about like <laughs> You know, the the imperial financial system and apparatus and like yeah you know like yes who are the hedge fund managers in the empire and like you know yeah what are they, they i mean they, they are right? they're, like they're billions like america star wars right like that <laughs> yeah. right like that would be such a good show like and that's and that's a place where it's like they could really they can use this world and this universe that they have to tell really interesting stories that are relevant in some way to to the world that we live in, right? Because that's what storytelling is supposed to be about, right? They, and one thing that, you know, that they've kind of gotten trapped in, and I'm not the first person to say this, is this idea that 
oh, all of these stories have to be related by these characters who we know. So we're going to make an Obi-Wan Kenobi show rather than, you know, Star Wars billions, right? Or yeah. you know, like whatever. So we're going to yeah. make an Obi-Wan Kenobi show because people need this character that they know and it all has to be related to the Skywalkers in some way. And, you know, that's a trap that we're really trying to, in our project, in, in you know, Ballads of the Distant Reaches, you know, part of why we settled on the structure that we have is that we wanted to avoid right at the beginning this trap of every one of these stories has to be about this like cast of characters that we know, right? And we wanted to, to create the world in such a way that we weren't going to get trapped into telling the same story over and over again, <clears throat> while still allowing room to sort of thread these narratives through in a way, you know, if we want to tell these longer stories, we can, but it depends on where you start, right? That idea of starting with you know, Luke Skywalker and his family, you know, that's a way of telling stories, at, you know, that originated in the 1970s when the way you did that was with feature films. Yeah. And that's how you told the story it was in a feature film. May I, uh, we, we I, don't have to tell stories that way anymore. So why is Disney still telling <laughs> this story this way? I, I, I actually, I have a question. Another, before I move forward to my next distant reaches, yeah. uh, thing I was going to talk to you about, uh, if you don't mind, I would like to share just, what you were just talking about, we were talking about like the the empire, the bean counters, you know, yeah. like who's 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 their accountants. I mean, yeah. they must have these enormous like bureaucracies inside that empire right. to keep building these uh, Death Stars. And yeah. I just wanted to share one of my favorite quotes from from any film ever. It's from the movie Clerks. And, <laughs> it's one uh, of my favorite movies. Yeah. And when, oh, yeah. when Randall talks about why the Return of the Jedi never sat right with him. And it's because it was an incompleted Death Star, which meant it wasn't a fully military facility. It, there would have been and in in it's the size of a moon which meant there would have been hundreds of thousands of contractors workers uh you know electricians people just plumbers like just probably basic, their families too yeah, yeah. Uh, probably their families too because it's a, like a long-term project you go when you work yeah. on this it's so yeah like so basically when they blew up that death star they killed hundreds of uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, blue collar workers who were right. not military personnel <laughs> right <They're> contractors <laughs> you got hired for oh man we got this huge con wiring contract yeah. this is going to really change our life honey yeah, the, like, the, the storm tro stormtroopers are not building the death star it's a huge yeah. it's a massive <laughs> totally totally and and there's there's drama this is the thing there's drama and stories that can be told in these things that again are relatable you know it's it's you know, to talk about Loki, Loki was great because Loki was about bureaucracy at the end of the day. Who yeah. hasn't gotten trapped in bureaucracy? I tried oh, to return some jeans to Levi's the other day and like, <laughs> oh my God, right? Like this is yeah. like, you know, it's it's scorched earth drama, right? Like you can do that in these worlds and you should and people like those stories, right? And and when you don't do that, it feels hollow. Um. So, yeah, but speaking of worlds, this, uh, this segue is really, really well into... This is one of the, the the main things I wanted to get into you with, and it is the craft of world building. Uh, yeah. Just uh, and I, I and like I said, I know that Distant Reaches is a group uh, creation, of course. Yeah. But uh, I want to know for you personally, uh, how do you prepare to create a fantasy world? Uh, do you create references like? And I know you said you do have maps. Uh, yeah. With like maps, yeah. you said you catalog lore to refer to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and I mean, and also like is a certain amount of it is just in your head. I oh, that's what, what I'm curious yeah. is like how much, I mean, how many, how many notebooks full of yeah, information. Yeah. And also I am curious, do you create, create physical maps to refer to? Yeah. So there's, um, 
Oh man, there's so much of it. So, you know, we very early on kind of realized that this is not something we were going to be able to grasp and like hold on to like mentally because there's just, there's too much of it. And you sort of don't know what you're going to need when, right? So like I mentioned yeah. earlier, the writer that like wanted very detailed, like a very detailed understanding of how some of these neighborhoods in the city fit together, right? Um, so like that's, you got to document that as you come up with it. So what, what Robert and I did, and this was a place where he, he very much, you know, sort of encouraged the like, you know, sort of documenting and, you know, creating a, an organizational schema for this, which he was um, completely right about and, and continues to grow. So some of this is like, we continue to update this as the project grows, you know, so if we publish a new story, we'll look at that story and we'll sort of say like, okay, these things are sort of specific to this writer and this story within a story, but this thing that they added feels like it's additive to the world, right? And so mm -hmm. that element will then get pulled into the war that then gets, you know, sort of distributed, you know, going forward and becomes, you know, like it's all official, but that becomes like, this is the history of the world, right? Like, yeah. so we'll, and so we'll pick those elements, each story and then incorporate them. So it's this living document. But in terms of creating it, you know, we started with uh, sort of just kind of deciding some stuff that we wanted to have in it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and this is, um, some of this is just rule of cool, right? Like we thought this would be cool. So we're going to, the world has to include X, Y, or Z, right? Some yeah. of it was, we talked about technology and the way it, you know, interacts with magic. That was part of it. Like we knew we wanted, you know, something that didn't feel like high fantasy. Um, by the same token, you know, we, and we had a debate, like what are we going to do with sort of like non-human, um, you know, kind of magical or intelligent, you know, braces, right? And we decided pretty early on, like, okay, we don't want to do like elves and dwarves and orcs and, you know, Tolkien, but um, we feel like we need something there because this is fantasy. And so, you know, very early step was we created two of these, you know, kind of non-human races, right? One of them's the, the Rilkgar and they're these kind of like porcupine creatures that are very scary and like eat things, right? And then we created the Salavasters, which are these kind of lizard men, artisans who live for a very long time and are, are uh, you know, kind of very mercantile, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we created these. Uh, and then the other thing, because again, we want to give freedom to our writers. And so, you know, we kind of had this debate where we were like, okay, well, I don't want to have to go and create, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual, naming every single magical creature that someone might encounter, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, our magic system has this idea that there are these, these, and so this now requires that we create a cosmogony, right? So we yeah. created a system of mythology and gods and how does magic work. And there are these magical beings that can kind of cross over from the realm of chaos into ours. And when they cross into our world, they will manifest in ways that people may perceive, you know, this one's is a dragon, right? Or they might perceive this one as some kind of local trickster god or what have you, right? And so this gives writers then the freedom to create the, you know, sort of the beings that they want within their stories, but with the root explanation being, it's one of these uncanny beings yeah. that has come into our world, right? Yeah. Um, so that's like, it's this very flexible, you know, sort of rule and system. So that yeah, it's a good, that's a good workaround for yeah, potential yes. uh, mix-ups. <laughs> and, and it also avoids us having to be like, there are unicorns in this world and unicorns do this and that. And like, yeah. no, it's like, these are specific things that writer created. And some of them might recur. And we created sort of, again, a mythology and these greater gods and these are established things that exist, but there's just a huge amount of flexibility underneath that to kind of tell the stories that you want. And so this is a lot of this, this explanation, how these systems work 
this is in that lore document. You know, we've built maps. There's this great program called Incarnate, like I-N-K-A-R, Incarnate, but it's spelled with a K. Um, it's like 20 bucks a year. And it's a map builder, basically. A oh, fantasy cool. map builder. And oh, it's nice. incredibly cool. And you can just, you can create all these maps. There's tons of different styles in it. Um, and so that was something that we started using, you know, once we established what we want the geography to be. Um, That's know. actually, exa- uh, this is, brings me right into, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, uh, no, 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 go for it. It's where I was it, going. Yeah. Uh, next was, so this is, uh, uh, sorry, let me just, <laughs> the fact that you're working across multiple platforms and yeah. uh, this is it, like, like you just said, you've got this uh, map builder. Uh, yeah. it's like you have so much stuff that, that's uh, like you said, it's uh, it's enabling you to do things creatively that weren't possible in older models of storytelling. And right. I was just wondering, like, uh, this is such a big question. I'm trying to narrow it down a little bit. Yeah, but, I mean, but, you know, if you don't, if you don't mind, maybe I'll just throw just a huge question at you. Yeah, what I mean, out there? <laughs> what all platforms do you have access to that are you know that older storytellers didn't have and what are you planning on doing with them? <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, you know, this is Tolkien didn't have this kind of stuff, right? He had to like sit there and like you know pen and ink make his maps, right? Like, yeah. so it's you know on on the one hand, there's things that allow us to generate, right? And so you know this map builder is you know this tool is incredible because it means we can make a map of the world and then we can make a map of you know this you know a region around a lake if we want. And, like each of these things becomes a distinct piece of content, you know. We decided early on our social media channels weren't going to be, you know, we do a little bit of marketing on them, but they're a place where we're sharing very short little glimpses into the world, like little pieces of lore. Like this is stuff that like would have existed in the past and sort of, you know, the indexes for your favorite fantasy book, right? Or in yeah. Silmarillion, right? Yeah. Like we we can put these out there as content in their own right that people can like and they can share and they can engage with. And so, and if you're reading the stories, on distantreaches.com and then also following on social media, you're getting a richer experience, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a great example of it. We deliberately, right from the beginning, you know, we want to take this to to podcast and then, you know, God's willing, we'll take it to, uh, uh, you know, streaming for, um, you know, TV in some way. Speaking, like, of, uh, speaking of God willing and the Similarillion, I just want yeah. to bring up, I did read the Similarillion and it, it had a very distinct, uh, vibe of like reading the bible if if you know what i mean yeah and i, yeah. I think that's in it yeah but that's one thing that and and i mean there's no i mean the similar lens, I, I would read it again it's it's yeah. it was cool and, and all that stuff i'm just saying you do have an interesting thing that tolkien did not have so no one has to sit down and read a tone and, and then right. and then try to it, and it's so and try to maintain all that knowledge in your in your mind like yeah. you can't the like you're, you're uh the people that are going to be reading the distant reaches, getting engaged with it. And if, at any time, they can go access a map and see specifically right. where they're at, where it's at. Yeah, and we can we can hyperlink this stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is like, in some ways it's basic, but it's like, you know, our readers, our subscribers, they get a story every two weeks in their inbox, right? Yeah. And within that, you know, it'll link back to the previous story. You know, it may link to a map, right? There'll be an illustration that our, our lead artist has created. And by the way, he's generating this visual world week to week like we'll kind of we'll send him a story and give him some notes of like we think this would be cool and then he comes back with something and it's consistently just wild and like amazing right like yeah you know but all of this stuff you know and so we're publishing online you know you can link between things you can create you know the stuff that used to be buried in in a tome 
can be surfaced in all of these different platforms. You know, we can take, you know, these conclave stories, right? The ones that these bards are telling lend themselves very naturally to a podcast treatment. And then once we start getting into the serialized stories, uh, you know, in the coming months, those can turn into standalone narrative seasons. They would go very well um, to series for streaming. You know, we can start building these things without replicating stories through any of this, right? It's not going to be retellings of the same stories over and over and over again, but each piece kind of adds to the next one. And so it's, it's a puzzle that you can kind of come into at any given place. And so that's the ability to distribute that story yeah is uh, you know it's it's in some ways it's kind of like it's hard to grasp and organize from a creative perspective but then once you it's sort of going out there it just becomes um you know you can really get it right and there's very few you know comic books has been doing this you know for a long time you know cross you know you'd have characters cross over all the time but it's still just within that one format of the comic book yeah and then you know now we're seeing it with you know sort of studio pictures and with tv but there's still i think a little bit thinking in that old model of like we have this this you know this main story to you again we can have the star wars conversation again right like that's a great example of it i, like, uh, I can think of uh just right off the top of my head some uh and something that like where i would have loved to have had access to hyperlinks and references and things that could get me back like so i, I got extremely into dune uh yeah. with frank, frank herbert and so i read all six of the books that he wrote while he was alive yeah and then he passed away and then right. his son and his best friend took over and started writing. They just kept it going. Right. And, right. and they're fantastic too. I, I think that uh, the books don't diminish in quality. I mean, this is, I'm not going to even get into it with, you know, people <laughs> yeah. have their opinions, whatever you want your opinions to be. I love Dune and I love the Dune yeah. universe. And, and I loved the Dune movie. I thought it was fucking yeah, great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. I love there, it. there were times where like, once I had gotten really far, you know, once I was maybe reading like the 12th, dune yeah. book and i and, and every once in a while i might be reading something slightly out of order because it's kind of hard to keep track after a while there will be times where i would, i would be like man i really wish i could like reference this somehow until yeah. something that had occurred like because it, it, you know it spans tens of thousands of years at a certain point and they yeah. you know so there would, yeah. would have been times where i'd be like man i wish i had a better understanding of like the benny jesuit as i know i read about this but it was five books ago and now i have no recollection right, right. <laughs> or or the the i don't remember what he calls it but the the sort of the the kind of bible type book that they have in it right and i you know in dune the, there's these sort of shit never mind yeah I, I can't remember <laughs> what it's called either right like, I, i've got it over here. i could find it if i was looking for it but like you know there'll be like sort of references to it this and that you know there'll be you know sort of quotes from it that show up in the books you know if he was writing this now i mean you know maybe he would write it exactly the same way but he would have the option yeah. Uh, if you did it digitally, that then becomes this whole section where if you want to go deep on that, and this is where it's great for like the deeper someone wants to go, it'll be there, right? Like, yeah. and that's like, so you can be casual or you can be like really into it. Um, and you know, as the mood strikes, and there there are places that you know, weirdly, the place where they've done the best job of this, I, I think, is actually like Dungeons and Dragons again because it was meant to be collaborative from the beginning and distributed storytelling. Like they've built this huge world. They have tons of books. There's online resources. They've got the movie coming. There's like, you know, and it's cohesive and people can access it as, you know, sort of shallowly or as deeply as they want. And I, you know, I think that's just, um, there's something very cool there. Breaker one nine, good buddy. 
This is Big Rig Doug here with an important announcement. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you're going to say, that's bullshit. You're just going to say that this episode was brought to you by Spaghetti. Or you're going to try and sell me a fake sex doll that doesn't really exist. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. This is a real important announcement with a real promo code. I ain't lying. This is Big Rig Doug, and you can trust me. Now, if you wanted to right now, you could go to thedistantreaches.com and read all kind of fantasy fiction like I've been doing, and it'd be fun as hell. But you're probably thinking, don't they have some kind of premium content out there that's even more kinds of stuff? Well, that's right, Chosen Ones. There is. And because you're a listener of My Views Are My Own Podcast, I got a promo code for you. You can go to www.distantreaches.com forward slash my views and it'll all be free because you're one of the chosen ones. You're one of the my views are my own listeners. This is Big Rig Doug and I wouldn't lie to you. Now some people say there's no guarantees in life. Well, whoever said that is a fucking idiot because I guarantee that if you go to www.distantreaches forward slash my views you're going to get all the premium content for free. Okay, there's one more thing. It's important, I got to tell you, I've been told that you have to type in the www to make it work. That's just one of those mysteries of the internet. More mysterious than a Balrog's lair. Well, anyway, this is Big Rig Doug signing off. Yeah! <laughs> I, I like Stranger Things simply for the fact that I like the show itself. Yeah. But I also yeah. like uh, what it did with Dungeons and Dragons and made it so accessible to so many people who otherwise would have kept thinking, oh, I, you know, that it's a board game or, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And, you know, I think I'm glad you brought it up. The, the, the most recent season of Stranger Things I thought was like actually kind of um, incredible because it's, the pacing doesn't let up. They keep all of these different stories. Like, I mean, the number of plates that they were keeping, like spinning in the air yeah. all the way through that was amazing. Was amazing. And yeah. then <laughs> and you get these characters that are like, it's funny, you know, the kids have grown up now and they're, you know, so their characters are becoming a little deeper, a little more conflicted. And then they, they come up with Eddie, right? Yeah. Eddie's such a great character. Like, I oh love my, Eddie. Like, just, <laughs> I love Eddie. I freaking love Eddie. Right. You know, and it's just like, and so this is, and this show was so good. And I don't think people have given it the credit for it. You know, this show managed to take like old songs from the eighties and make them into like, you know, yeah. Gen Z pop hits. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, I it's know. like, <laughs> like that's, that's mind boggling. <laughs> Yeah, you that you, you've got like 14 year olds listening to masters of puppets now and shit you know right like, <laughs> right like and they had no idea you know like so it's just like that's awesome and i think it just deserves kind of so much credit for that and then you know for kind of i don't want to say like normalizing some of these things but like you know stuff like dungeons and dragons which you know i think a lot of the credit for this actually has to go to, to peter jackson and like what he did with the you know the original Lord of the Rings movies and the the sort of the that the entree for a lot of people to fantasy who otherwise might not have contacted it, you know had might not have really engaged with it as as like real art and real culture you know I think that started maybe with him Game of Thrones made it like super normal for people to have an in depth discussion about the politics of the fantasy world you know in the office right. 
but then Stranger Things was the first place where someone, you know, really in a way that was, I think, culturally successful, you know, sort of said, look, these things, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons, these, you know, pieces of culture and art that have developed over the last, you know, 50, 70, you know, 100 years, uh, these are, are valuable parts of our culture that people engage with for a reason. And it's because they're interesting and they tell us about who we are and they tell us real stories and like, you know, engaging with them is a good thing. Right. And I think that's something that that show uh, really, you know, kind of understood and did in a good way. And if you look at the pitch deck, have you ever seen the pitch deck for season one of that? I have not. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Cause they, they capture the whole vibe of the show in this document and you can kind okay. of see they're setting this stuff up when they are pitching it in the room. And it's, um, I mean, it's awesome that someone at Netflix was like, saw that and was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. You know? Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it does seem like it was a risk. What a, what a, yeah. what a great payoff for taking that risk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Totally. I, I think it's, it's just, um, been very successful. I think, and I, I think it's, uh, I, I found myself with this most, re- and you know, I've watched it all the way through in this latest season. I was like, especially cause there was that break in between part one and part two. Yeah. And I finished part one. It was going, I really want to finish this. Yeah, and it yeah. kind of surprised me actually how much I wanted to. Yeah. And uh spoiler alert. If you guys haven't seen <laughs> the stranger things yet, <laughs> uh, plug your ears for t- two seconds, but I want to say uh, Eddie's death. One of the most, so it's, it's a heroic death. Yeah. It's a funny death. It's yeah. extraordinarily cool. He dies like oh, you yeah. know, shredding a guitar. Like yeah. so, That's uh, awesome. it's wait. Just... Okay, hey, hang on though. You actually think he's dead? Because I don't think he's. I think we're gonna see oh. more of Eddie. Oh, I think okay. we're gonna see more of Eddie. I like. I just. I've. I've got this like this instinct that Eddie's popping back up. Okay, you know, and I like, mean, it, and that would yeah. and that would be and that would be Dungeons and Dragons story logic would say that this guy is going to like pop back up at some point. Um, I I am uh, and I don't want to go. I I am kind of a proponent of like I think that it's important that death matters. I yeah. think it's, it's one of my arguments, not arguments. It's one of my uh, criticisms of Marvel, oftentimes. Yeah, where, totally. like how many fucking times did they kill Loki? And he, he's still, he's still, like, <laughs> which every time you're supposed to go like Loki's dead. Oh my god! And then right. he's back in the next movie. Yeah. Like yeah. he's he was in like three Thor movies and died in every one of them. You know, yeah. so. Uh, no, I agree with that. I mean, that's <laughs> so okay. Now I feel conflicted because one, like I want more Eddie. I think he's going to come back, but you're also totally right once you know so let's let's you know play a thought game right like if yeah. we know that he comes back once we see the next season and he's back let's say that happens then that kind of undermines what we saw in this one right like it becomes less meaningful so like yeah you're totally right and like part of why game of thrones was always so fucking awesome was when people died and there were a lot of them they would build it up you would love this character and then they'd be like and they're gone yeah and, and that, that's it. Like, and, yeah, and, that's and they it. don't. And they don't. It, it wasn't a trick. They're gone. Yeah. With, yeah. I, remember, I remember the first. Yeah, the very first season. That's when they killed Sean Bean. I was like, "What the fuck?" Right. They killed right. Sean Bean. Sean He's Bean? the movie star yeah, in this thing. He's a star. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, it's it's and this is like it works. It's it's a real story. You know, I was reading about um Mash, right? The old TV show, and Mash was groundbreaking in this. And I remember seeing this episode and like reruns when I was a kid, you know, I don't know what I was watching like in the nineties. And I remember this episode. It's not like I was watching a ton of mash as a, as a child. Right. Yeah. But like, I remember seeing this episode for some reason, they had a character who 
you know, and the backstory of this is that, you know, he'd gotten the gig with like NBC. And so he had to be written off the show. But within the show, they had this big party at the hospital. He's been re- he's going to get to go back home to the United States. Everybody's happy for him. He gets to leave the war. Yeah. And it's this happy thing. And the episode ends with this button where, you know, Radar set, you know, comes in and he's got a telegram and he's like, you know, the plane that so-and-so was on was shot down over the Sea of Japan and everybody died. And this was like the first time anyone had done that in TV. And yeah. it's like, and I remember this episode vividly from being a kid because it was like, so, so, and yeah. And like, this is again, kind of a, a, a lesson that like, shouldn't have to be a lesson, but like make the story matter. You know? I should uh, at some point just go back and watch some mash just because it is just known as being so groundbreaking on so many levels. Uh, I mean, be, you know, being the first television show to be critical of, of a u.s war yeah yeah exactly i mean it's 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 kind of um it's it's radical in its way and you know and there's parts of it that haven't aged that well but like when you kind of look at it in aggregate like and think about when it was being made yeah yeah, i mean they were taking some big swings yeah you know man i would be remiss if i didn't ask you uh uh, we're talking about the uh about the artwork uh yeah i mean obviously it seems like out of totally out of left field to everyone listening right now, but you and I were discussing no, no, no. this and I wanted yeah, to bring yeah, this yeah. up. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it, like, it's getting more and more popular for some writers to go with uh, AI generated artwork. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but you decided to go with a human uh, master. <laughs> of Radical the craft. idea. Yeah. Uh, so what is it like working with Shay Plummer? So, I mean, Shay is, he's awesome. Um, genius genius artist um yeah again yeah you said it right i mean absolute master of his craft and he was someone that um you know a couple years ago i'd interviewed uh this kind of musical act called magic sword which everybody should check out um super cool they you know kind of techno stuff and did um some of the trailer music for for thor wound up being from that you know magic sword so i got interested in them interviewed them and they'd done a um kind of a companion comic book for one of their albums and shade illustrated it. So when I was cooking up distant reaches, you know, again, thinking about things that we can do in terms of modern storytelling that like couldn't be done before is, you know, we're not limited, you know, by having to print something. Right. So we can use an infinite number of colors. We can create art. We don't have to pay extra for colored plates. Like, you know, all of this stuff, right. Like illustration, becomes this matter of like, do you have an artist who can create really great art, right? You know, publishing it becomes very easy then. Um, and so this was, you know, I just kind of decided early on, like, we've got to have a visual component of this. Yeah. And it's got to be something that's like so fucking cool that someone sees one of those illustrations and the illustration alone is going to be enough to make <clears> them want to find out what this thing is, right? Yeah. So that means they've got to be kind of weird. They've got to be striking. They have to imply a story behind them. You know, and so like Shay was kind of the perfect person for this, um, you know, and working with him has just been really, really enriching experience because he'll get these stories or we'll talk to him about something we want to do with the world. And then he'll go in this direction with it and come back again, like with the writers, something totally surprising. Um, and that's just amazing. That's not something that you're going to get with an AI, right? Like yeah. this is that's yeah. a lot of preamble. Yeah, it's very cheap right now to generate quote unquote fantasy art using an AI and you basically feed it some prompts and it's going to give you a piece of digital art that kind of looks like something you've seen before, right? Yeah. Like it, it all looks kind of familiar and it's going to be a remix of what you put in for the prompt, right? Yeah. Like, you know, 
also it's been trained on art made by actual artists and so there's i think some real questions here about like if this is just sort of essentially stealing you know, from yeah. artists <laughs> like, or, like yeah. that's a, you know like uh, you know i kind of i have a little bit of an issue with that but setting that aside just purely aesthetically like it is it doesn't have the ability of someone who's a true artist to sort of have a dialogue to look at this to understand what it's actually about right because art has to have meaning right it's not yeah. just you know fun pictures right if it has to have some kind of meaning um and then that's how you get these things that have an element of surprise to them that have some kind of emotional core to them you know the uh if if you look at uh, i'm gonna i want to get the issue number right you know but if if you go to our website uh and look at uh, issue four, right? This is a story called Rishna at the Bone Gates. This is a story that has, you know, this underworld journey as part of it. It's this story about uh, a woman who's bereaved. She leads an army to the underworld. She's trying to get back her, her you know, dead lover, basically. And she encounters this God who rules the underworld, right? And so we had a description in the, the, the prose. This is a story Robert Frankel wrote. Um, it's very kind of mythological. And you know, the description of the God in this is like, well, I think we mentioned a little bit about how she looks and she has this like sword that vibrates and there's this like smell of like loam and soil that appears anytime she shows up. Right. Yeah. This is what's in it. Right. That's, that's the description. What Shay comes back with and people got to go look at this. It's this amazing piece of art where she's this underworld deity. She's got this sort of, you know, these exposed ribs and, you know, but the sword because all we said was, you know, it vibrated or it thrummed, right? Yeah. The sword looks like the wing of a dragonfly. And she's oh, got sick. this, she's <laughs> got this hat on that sort of looks like the thorax of a bug. And it's got like six wings and eyes. And she's like descending with this like hat with these like, you know, bug wings on it. And like, it's fucking awesome. Like this, th like this, and we I got it. it. And we were like, shit, this is cool. <laughs> right? Like, in the process of writing this story, we did not describe this character this way, right? Yeah. Like, and without being it, knowing that that's what the, you know, without having that creative insight, you can't tell an AI that you want this thing. It's not going to come up with it, right? Like this is this is something that a person who understands the meaning of the character and the resonance of it, and that can make a creative leap from a a, a sword that thrums to this whole sort of motif around dragonflies. Like that's like, you know. Yeah, I like I, I could talk about this for a long time and I don't want to be like sort of a Luddite that's like smash the smash the, the cannibal looms. <laughs> but like, you know, this is art. Art is a domain where like you need an artist and an artist is a person with like uh, talent and creativity and, and the ability to engage with, you know, this comes out of conversation and dialogue yeah. you know, with us. Right. Like, I mean, and that's that's important. Um, it's, a, it's a human endeavor. And I would. I want to say this too. I, as much as I would like to follow the rabbit hole of saying, especially I, I enjoy discussing AI and at what point, like, does the AI need to, you know, achieve self-awareness to be able to become right. an artist or, I mean, but that's not what the topic of this podcast. <laughs> and also it, it's the, <laughs> what I did want to say is what, where we are right now is normally where I would say, Benjamin, we're getting dangerously close to the lightning round. However, right. there is a completely, it's never been done before on this podcast. This okay. is the fightening round. 
Ooh, I'm going to tell it. everybody, everybody that listens always, always knows there's a uh, lightning round at the end of most interviews. Um, but, and you'll be surprised to hear this as much as me and Benjamin have agreed on things like Star Wars, uh, Marvel and all this stuff. We have a huge beef and I've been on a, I've been on a debate podcast before. I, I understand how the rules of debate work. However, this is my views of my own podcast. So the way the rules are going to be, it's going to be more like the WWE, like where like the referees always looking in the wrong direction when the one guy hits the guy with the fucking chair. So <laughs> I we're just gonna we're going straight into a melee here. Let me just tell you what this is what I heard, brother. I heard that you said House of Dragon is better than uh, Rings of Power, and I won't stand for it. One hundred percent. And I'll fight you on that one. Oh man, I'm I'm gonna let you go first. And and <laughs> you do whatever you want, man. If you wanna if you wanna say what you don't like about Rings of Power first, or you wanna say what you do like about House of Dragon, but just know this: I will fight to the death <laughs> on right. this. I'll All die right. on this hill. All right, I'm br- I'm br- I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it, and I, I'm gonna start with a two part answer. Part okay. one. All right. Why Rings of Power sucks. Part two. Why okay. House of the Dragon doesn't suck. Uh, if you st- I feel like you're one, stabbing me in the heart if you say these one, things. <laughs> the fuck is up with the Harfoots? Like these are like like just these like weird hobbit things. They all should have gotten eaten by that wolf when they were picking blackberries. They're completely unmotivated and like dear God, are they irritating? Like that like I can't I can't with the Harfoots. I just can't. You know, and then you take a step back from this thing and the whole show and it looks beautiful and they spent like a billion dollars on it. And like, you know, as I said before, I would happily write season two of this. So you know, <laughs> nobody go too far on this. But but like there's an element of it where it feels like it's like it feels a little bit like knockoff Lord of the Rings. Right. Like it's like the music's kind of Lord of the Rings. Right. And like but. You know, it's not quite, and it looks right, but it's it's like it's like the it's like the way Mac and me was to ET is the way okay. Rings of Power <laughs> is the Lord of the Rings, and and context. I watch every week of it, and I actually like it a lot. But it just there's something about it that like I can't quite get there with it. Like yeah. it just you know, and like Isildur just happens to be like wandering around. Like it's just like everybody's there, and like I, I don't know, I don't know. I want to oh, I, I want to add uh, for context. I also watch House of Dragon every week, so. (laughs) (laughs) So Then then you go to House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon is like, oh man, we've got like, we've got everything in House of the Dragon. Like, you know, and you can just, you can see they're putting the pieces into motion and it's all going to like explode. And I think, you know, yeah, it's been like, it's it's some preamble, it's some buildup. But like, you, there's some stakes in this, man. I mean, episode one, someone's like mom dies, and then there's like people are getting married, and the thrones in question, and you got the pervy uncle and the dragons and the crab eater. I mean, come on, the crab eater is like amazing. So yeah, and and it has the music, right? So when I sit down to watch House of the Dragon, I know, hey, I'm in for something that's going to have that, you know, everything I want about you know Game of Thrones, and at least a little bit. There's going to be violence. There's going to be debauchery. There's going to be palace intrigue uh yeah i like i love it i love it all right man i'm gonna i'm gonna come at i'm gonna say all right, come things. at me hard I'm, bring, I'm it gonna, on, bring it on first of all <laughs> uh what these shows what they have to live, live up to the rings of power they have to live up to first of all the lord of the rings one of the greatest movie franchises of all time 
and they have to live up to the writing of J.R.R. Tolkien, who I hold in very high esteem. Now, I agree with all of that. Uh, the House of Dragon, so this they have to they have to live up to so much less. It's a it's a TV show <laughs> that has to live up to a TV show. They don't have to live up to these to these giant epic, you know, insanely high budget Peter Jackson works of art. They're just living up to another HBO TV show, and. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm sure I'm going to piss a lot of people off, but they're just living up to George R.R. R. Martin, and he's not—he's not in the same <laughs> class as as Tolkien. They're not—you you can't one for one these guys. They're different authors. So what I'm what I think is very impressive with Rings of Power, I think you know for what for what they're doing, it's a TV show. It's not as good as Lord of the Rings. What could be? I mean, the fucking Hobbit movies weren't as good as Lord of the Rings either, and those things cost a, a trillion dollars to make. <laughs> and this, and 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 here's the, and I, I I will bring this up and I think that at least with this a lot of people even even the hardcore Game of Thrones even House of Dragon people are gonna feel me on this. Season eight of Game of Thrones was a travesty, and oh, they yeah. they ended yeah. that in the worst possible way. And one of the things I thought that with House of Dragon, what they had an opportunity to do here was to say, hey, we fucked up, we. We really ruined a great show. They never should have canceled it in the first place. It should have gone for two yeah. or three more seasons and ended it right. But instead, you know, you know what I do? There's here's one way. Like when I am watching a show, how I know what, how good it is is how often I feel the urge to pull my phone out of my pocket and look at my phone yeah. or sigh. And during House of Dragon, it's it's just one long sigh and just checking my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's i mean that, that's the pacing the pacing of that show is just yeah. excruciating so so i will i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna meet you on the middle on this one right i okay. think i think house of the dragon is gonna like take off pardon the pun right like i think like i do yeah we've spent a lot of time in the small council right seeing pieces get put into place i think it's gonna start to rip here pretty soon like i just i've got this feeling about it and i'm Rings of Power, you know, so I, I started off sort of saying I do watch every episode. I'm going to continue to watch every episode because it is, there is as much as like it can feel like not Lord of the Rings as I know it, it is still, it's got that DNA in it, right? Yeah. And I am connected to it in some way and it looks beautiful and I am watching it. And I think you actually were exactly right. The, the biggest problem with it in some ways is not a problem with the show. It's that it can't and probably never could reach the height of those, you know, those first three movies that Jackson made, which, you know, those are people forget about this. Talk about like a, a triumph of filmmaking, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, the most, you know, Oscar winning movie ever, right? And, you know, Return of the King and the way they were shot. And this actually would be a lesson to, you know, maybe Amazon or someplace like that. He shot those over the course of like nine months back to back with that cat, like in a total pressure cooker with total control with like, yeah. you know, just... It, from a filmmaking perspective, it's bonkers that he was able to pull that off. And so, yeah, it's like, it is really hard to sort of hold a candle to that. Like, and that's, that is going to be the, the, that is the challenge for a show like the rings of power um, is, you know, especially if you're, you know, I watch those movies every year, right? Like, I oh, know yeah. those oh, movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and I think that's where it's like, that's where I have a hard time, but that also speaks to, you know, sort of the power of the source material that they're working with. True. I and here's the thing that I guess 
we should really bring this up uh and you might not have known this uh going in but this episode doesn't the one that we're recording right now doesn't release until two weeks from now so it's amazing how much these both of these shows could change by the time right. this episode. So, so, so House of the Dragon might have started ripping by the time we. <laughs> I might be dropping this episode in two weeks and going, "Why the fuck did I say House of the Dragon sucks?" When it was suddenly, like when it when suddenly, <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll look like a fool. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, here's the thing. So I think part of this also, you know, by the same token, Rings of Power is like I feel like I'm doing a lot of waiting for like when is the shit going to get real right yeah. like you know there so the first episode i was totally into galadriel like hunting sauron in the frozen north and at the end of that episode i was like i would have watched a show about that yeah right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know but they're bringing and it back when we right She's... you know and, and it's like and i just you know i think it's like we're gonna get there and i think once you know this is where it's like the rings of power may really start to work is once we start to really see those stakes and those conflicts and i i like certain things you know especially if if you're not someone who has read a lot of the Lord of the Rings and some of Tolkien's lesser known works, I think that one of the coolest things is, uh, you know, the Starfall, and, yeah. and that's Gandalf. And people, a lot of people don't realize Gandalf was a god. Yeah. He just uh, he I forgot what the, what they called what Tolkien called gods, but he was one of them. And yeah. when he hit Earth, he forgot that he had ever been a god, so he right. becomes a wizard. But the reason he, you know at the end of uh, Return of the King, why he's such a, like a almost, you know, godlike being is because he's always been a godlike being. He's yeah. just forgotten it all. So, so, okay. I'm glad you brought this up though. Cause this brings me back to my number one problem with the show. Okay. Which are the Harfoots. The Harfoots. <laughs> and particularly Nori, which I think may be one of the worst written characters of all time. I like, what is her deal? Like, what is she? Okay. She blackberries. She's like, I mean, she would like, and she's like, oh, we got to save him. Now, the person that has motivation to save, you know, Starman, right? Like, is her friend, right? Her friend, whose entire family died when an avalanche, you know, wiped them out on the trail. She's the one that's alone that is going to be like, we can't leave this guy alone. Yeah. And they got it backwards. Instead, we have Nori, who I guess is supposed to be fun, but, you know, I don't know what Nori wants. What does Nori want? Tell me what Nori I I don't know. I'm going to tell you that you got me there because the, the Harfoots are fucking annoying. Uh, <laughs> but so are so are many hobbits. And oh, I, 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 I'm pretty sure, if I'm correct, I think the Harfoots are a subspecies of hobbit. They're like proto-hobbits. Yeah, yeah. So... And, and I, I don't know if like if they're they're if they're the ancestors of hobbits or if they're just like a slightly different, it's like a different species. flavor of hobbit, right? So, yeah. uh, I, I, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You know what? I I'm gonna call it a draw. If you if you're yeah. if you're willing to beat me there and say, I, I'll, I'll I'll meet you on that one. I'll meet you on that one. Time will tell. We should we should. At the end of these seasons, yeah, I will, I will contact. Yeah, <laughs> I'll contact let's do it you again, and we'll, and we'll break it down at the end. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is, if, <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that both of these shows are so nascent and you know still still kind of building the story, still getting you used to the people, uh, it it's hard to make because if the seasons were over, we could both have concrete arguments. Okay, well, so so since we could take really big swings, I'm this is my <laughs> my one hundred percent real prediction real in quotes prediction for rings of power and it's that nori becomes a serial killer i i seriously hope that she does because all the other <laughs> harfoots suck 
they're so rude and shitty in their and their rules about like her dad's got a broken ankle and they're like well fucking leave him nori has a lot of reasons to become a serial killer and she's Thank and she's you. she uh exhibits plenty of narcissistic uh psychopathic uh traits so all right Big swing. It's not gonna happen. Big swing. But if it did, if it did, I would be there every week for that show. You're like, if I was the fucking showrunner, we'd be, I'd be pushing it. I'd be like, all right, you go in the the writers' room. All right, guys. Nori, Hannibal Lecter, poison black. Make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Benjamin. I got to ask you the, the most important, absolutely most important question of the entire interview, man. And all it's right. this: uh, where can people find you? Follow you? Uh, find distant reaches? Follow distant reaches? uh check it out like, go be able to check it out today and read uh the very first story uh is written by you it's very cool so i'll shut the fuck up uh you go ahead tell everybody where nah, you're, nah, all, nah, nah, I got all you. your all your good, good stuff is at man yeah so distant reaches it's pretty easy to find it's distantreaches.com. uh and if you're on you know google or uh, google wow how old am i can i start that over uh yeah okay <laughs> distant reach is pretty easy to find you can uh you know it's just distantreaches.com. if you're on um social media you can find us distant reaches at distant reaches on instagram facebook twitter um you know the website is sort of that's the place for everything you can sign up with your email for free to get the stories in your inbox um if you want to follow me uh it's benjaminreeves.com uh and i'm on twitter at bp reeves oh yeah uh we'll do it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, this has been awesome. I'm really looking forward to uh, looking forward to checking out more uh, more distant reaches as it as it uh, evolves and continues to be created. And then I'm I'm looking forward to finding out that I I was right all along at the end of the, these two seasons <laughs> of these shows. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, thanks a bunch, man. This has been super fun, and um, yeah, I uh, appreciate it. Oh yeah, later, Benjamin. All right, take care.